Well, good morning, you guys. Good morning. Awesome. Um, my name is Dustin. I get the privilege of being the pastor, so uh, glad y'all are here this morning. Um, I guess I just got up here and looked out. I didn't realize this while we were singing, but I guess I'll either preach this way or this way, right? I mean, we're stacked in on the sides on the uh, comfy chairs, and y'all um, leave these for the younger folks, I reckon. So um, this will probably be pretty normal. Hey, we got a lot of college students, and the good thing about them is they're here from uh, January to May, and then summer's gone. So hey, y'all feel free to fill them in if you want. So um, anyways, uh, today is a special day. I, I, I wanted to take just a few minutes and um, uh, recognize uh, the mothers in here. And so um, happy Mother's Day to you guys. Um, it, it's so... Um, easy. I think I was thinking about it this morning, honestly. You, I woke up, and there's just so many things you, you do that you don't really realize, and then if they were gone, that's when you would realize it. You know what I mean? And I think, I think we all could speak that way for, uh, for the moms in our life. And so um, I wanted to read a little bit of uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 66, which is the last chapter in Isaiah. But um, before I do that, I do want to recognize, too, that Mother's Day is a, is a wide spectrum of things, right? Some people come into Mother's Day and it may be your first Mother's Day without your mother, or you may be struggling with becoming a mom, or uh, right? Um, but for most of us, uh, we have moms here and we get to celebrate them. And so um, I wanted to share this, though, because I think it kind of encompasses uh, everything that God intends moms to do for us, right? And so it's Isaiah chapter 66, and it's verses 12 through 14. Um, and it, this is interesting because God's comparing uh, or Isaiah's comparing a, uh, God to a mother. And so as I read this, think about it from the lens of everything that God does for us. A lot of how we understand God is through our, our moms, right? The, the, the caring side and the gentleness and servant leadership. And you could go on and on, but this is what it says. It says, for thus says the Lord, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river. He's talking about the people of God, but he's going to get into the analogy, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees. Think about this. So what does a mom do with their baby? He, uh, she bounces the baby on her knees, right? She's, uh, she's comforting the baby. And this is all the things that we get to understand as we understand it from, from God. And so verse 13 says, As one whom his, mother's, his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see and your heart shall rejoice. I was thinking about it, and it's just so easy. Um, it's interesting how God has chosen to work in our lives, um, one of those ways being through uh, the church, but in, and even inside the, the, the church, but inside our families, and that's through um, the, the father and the, the mother, right? And so um, today we celebrate the mother, and so can we just celebrate the moms in here for all they do, and yes... Um, thank y'all. Thank y'all so much. I know it's a lot of work, and um, so thank y'all. Here we go. Acts chapter 7, if you have your Bibles, is where we will be. As y'all are flipping there, I did have one more thing I wanted to talk about. Um, on June 25th through 27th, we will be uh, having that family weekend, and so put that on your calendars. That'll be just a time where uh, Friday night, we'll do a marriage conference uh, for everybody. We'll have child care provided. S that Saturday, we'll do um, kind of a mini VBS on Friday night and Saturday morning for the kids. And Saturday, we'll have uh, blow-ups and a cookout just for a time for us to spend together as um, a church family. So that'll be June 25th through 27th. So please do that. 
And so we'll be in Acts chapter 7. We'll finish the end of it. Um, and then we will get out of here and go celebrate our moms. I will say, too, I'm a little bit under the weather. I'm not feeling overly great. I'm feeling better than I was this morning early. But um, So y'all hang with me if I need to grab a drink of water or cough or whatever else. Y'all are far enough away that we're good. So here we go. Uh, we'll pick up in verse 20 in Acts chapter 7. Let me just catch you up to where we are so we know. So we're following the early church and uh, Stephen, who was chosen in Acts chapter 6 just to serve. He was just um, another person in the church and um, he was chosen to serve. And what's interesting about Stephen is, is uh, Stephen was of the outside population, so to speak. Um, he was a, a Hellenistic Jew. He wasn't um, the Jew of Jews. He wasn't, as we referred to and joking, the, the college uh, nights. He wasn't an OG of the church, right? He was just um, an outsider that was part of it. And so um, he gets chosen in. Uh, he's not a preacher. He's not, he's not an apostle, but he starts preaching um, a really good long sermon. And that's what we're unpacking here. And so we'll pick his sermon up in verse 20 and it'll be like last week. I'll read the first couple verses and we'll pray, but then we'll just go through it as a narrative. What's interesting about narratives is um, it's, it's a lot easy, uh, harder to just teach one thing because it's so much encompassed in here. So we'll just read some verses and talk through it as we go, and we'll finish up Acts chapter 7. So here we go. Picking up verse 20, it says, at this time, Moses was born. Okay, let me pause there, and I won't do this often, but we're only going through two verses here. So Moses is born. Remember, last week, we, we went, uh, Stephen starts preaching, and he talks about the God of glory and who God is, this big idea of God. And then um, he, he jumped to Abraham, and then he jumped to Joseph. So we're kind of finishing up the book of Genesis, not in his eyes, but in our eyes. We're finishing up the book of Genesis, and we're going to pick up with Moses and how Moses applies to what, who he's preaching to. And remember, he's preaching to these people that um, are about to kill him. They're the Jews that don't think Jesus was the Messiah. And Stephen's um, indicting them, saying Jesus is the Messiah. And one of his primary points is, just like the Jews um, rejected Moses at first... So you're rejecting Jesus now, and that's what he's telling the Jews. And so verse 20, we pick up. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. We see that he was mighty in his words and deeds. That's the same way that many people reference Christ, was he was mighty in his words and deeds. Let's pray together and we'll start unpacking this. God, we love you. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your word. Um, we thank you for uh, God uh, showing us who you are, Lord. And I pray that we enjoy this time as we unpack it. Lord, I, I pray now and just thank you specifically for the moms in here. God, thank you for, um, God, your design in, in the family and your design and God, uh, us being able to tangibly see so many characteristics of yourself that we experience through our moms as we grow up. And so, God, we thank you for them, and we celebrate them. And, uh, God, thank you for the cross. Thank you for providing salvation for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen, amen. And here we go. So um, I'm going to quickly back up to Acts chapter 6 and read you quickly um, what uh, Moses or what Stephen was indicted for, and then we'll begin going through a sermon because it just helps make sense of everything going on. But verse 10 says, um, they, they, but they could not withstand the wisdom with the spirit in which he was speaking, talking about Stephen. And it says, they stirred up the people and the elders of the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And what was their issue? He says, this man never to speak 
ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Okay, why is that important? I know I went straight back into the Bible and y'all are used to me telling you something you can laugh at, okay? Why is that important? Because we gotta understand why Stephen is spending so much time on Moses, okay? The reason Stephen starts spending so much time on Moses is because these people see Moses as like their primary prophet. He was the one that brought them the law. All the laws that they follow are because of Moses. And so when you see this, he's going to say a lot of things about Moses in his sermon. The reason is, is because he's using that as a bridge to build to the Jews, right? He's using that as a way to say, listen, I love Moses too. Moses was a great prophet. He gave us the law. He wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, but he's not Christ. And so that's the message that He's trying to get across to him and why he spends so much time. Listen, it's interesting. He shares some good things about Moses and so not great things about Moses. But most of what he shares about Moses is good. And the reason he's sharing good stuff about Moses is because they're saying that Jesus doesn't believe in Moses. Right? They're saying he wants to erase Moses. He wants to do away with the Old Testament. And what Jesus says later, we see in John 5, is that um, uh, he says, if, if you didn't believe me, then you don't believe Moses either because Moses spoke of me to come, right? And so you can see this story unfolding, and it makes a lot more sense if we had a Jewish background, but it's just interesting to think of what Stephen's doing and his boldness and calling these people out for what they think is true. And so we'll pick up in verse 22, and we'll just unpack a few of these things that we see in here. We'll read 22 through uh, 30, and then we'll get going. It says, And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. He starts retelling some of the story. So if you need a condensed version of Genesis, here it is. Or not Genesis, Exodus. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. As the one seeking as the one see, as seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Okay, so what, what's he retelling? If you if you think back to Exodus, there's a story of um, uh, there's a, there's a, a Israelite that's in there and they're getting beaten. They're not treated well. They're in captivity to the Egyptians, and so it would have been normal for Moses to walk out and see thousands of people being mistreated. And so he goes in and he starts calling them out. Verse twenty five. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Think about this. Moses is coming from the Egyptians. They've given him power, and he's going down to help them. But they don't see Moses as coming to help. They see Moses as coming to be a part of the oppressed group that's going to oppress them more. You see this? Now, we're going to relate this back to Christ in just a minute because I think a lot of us see Christ in the same way. Verse 26 and on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why did you wrong each other? Because they were fighting each other. But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. There's two things that Stephen does here, I think, that we can really see in this passage. I think that makes a lot of sense. The the first one is that what Stephen's showing them here is that they rejected, they're, they're rejecting Jesus just like the Jews rejected Moses when he came to help them here, right? Think about this. I know this is the case for me, but so many of us, when we think of Christ, if we're honest, we think of Christ as Christ wanting to like pull us back from fun, 
You know what I mean? It's like we, we think that when, especially think back to before you came to Christ. You often think of it as you think before Christ, you think that you're, you're walking into something that there's this huge world out there and Christ is now going to pull you back from it, right? And, and Christ says he's come to set you free, but really we think Christ are, is the chains himself, right? Like uh, he's going to tell me, I can't do this. I can't do this. I need to do this. I need to do this. And it's like, he's the one that's going to tell you all the do's and don'ts. And you're going to now not be set free because that's not what Christ is in our mind thinking that he's doing. Y'all follow me on this? But think about this. The reason that is so important that Christ has come to set us free and we have to see it the opposite is because what we fail to realize in that time is what we are slaves to apart from Christ, right? Think about this with me. I share this often. I think it's just easy to get practical, but why do we wear the clothes we wear? You realize that at some degree, you are thinking that I want to wear this because so-and-so wore it and they looked cool. Right? Or, or I want to be seen as blank because I wear this. You know what I mean? Uh, think about the, the good old Southern boys that wear, wear boots, right? We want to have a little bit of maybe redneck in us, and we want to show that to people, right? Or um, maybe you're, you're real hip, you know what I mean? And you wear the, the hip stuff. But you see what I'm saying? What's driving you to wear what you wear is, is an outside force. Y'all follow me on this? Some of y'all are laughing like, I don't, is, hip not, is hip not a good word? I don't understand, okay? Um, but think about this with me. What we realize is, is that we're actually a slave to the people around us. You follow me on this? Is that we are wearing and doing what the other people look at us say that they, we're doing the same thing they should do. We're actually a slave to culture. It's the, it's the same thing that happens all the time. Let's, let me give you another example that I think helps us understand that it's easy for us to think that Jesus has not come to set us free, as we just sing, right? But that he's actually come, or that he has come to set us free. Think about it. Um, I, I, we, we share this sometimes, but think about it from like a money standpoint. Think about how easy it is. And, and there's, you could be a slave to money on both ends, right? When I used to think of being a slave to money, I used to think people that were slaves to money, what drove their life being money were people that were obsessed with money to the point that they were rich, right? And, and you, 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 you understand that, and that can be true, right? You get so far over here that you get a little bit, and you want more and more and more, and so your life's goal becomes what? I need more and more and more. And so that person is a slave to money. But there's also a flip side to that that makes us a slave to money, right? That is that if we don't have any money, right, then we become a slave to money because we're just trying not to go in the red. You follow me? And what Jesus has come to do is say, hey, let's set healthy boundaries on both ends so that you can be a slave to me, right? In a healthy way, because that's freeing. And so Jesus frees us from both because you can be a hamster on a wheel and you can need the next 10,000 or 50,000. That's going to make you comfortable or retire comfortable. And that's what's going to do it for you, right? And Jesus frees you from that. And then God is loving enough that he sets up principles for us to live by, um, living within your means, trying to guide that. These things that if we do that the Bible teaches us to do, that we get out of from being a slave to money from this side. Y'all see this? But if we follow the world, what do we become a slave to? Usually one of those things on one end. We're either going to become battling the red because we're trying to impress people we don't even know by buying things we can't afford, right? 
Or on the other end, we need more and more and more and more for our comfort so that we can have more. Do y'all see what I'm saying here? And so Christ, if we are actually stripped back a couple layers, we realize that Christ has come to set us free from this, right? And that's what Stephen is saying. He's saying to them from the Jew standpoint, he's saying, hey, you don't realize this because you're in slavery to the Egyptians, but I'm coming to help you. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here for you. I'm here to give you salvation. And they're just struggling over and over and over to see that. The second thing we see from just this passage comes from him trying to reconcile their relationships, right? He sees two people fighting and, and he's trying to reconcile them. And so we, we see here that he Moses is a great picture of Jesus, him trying to heal because that's the same thing Jesus did, right? Jesus healed two types of broken relationships. The primary one he healed was our broken relationship with God. Y'all, you follow me here? Think of it this way. We always share it this way. God is over here. He's perfect and holy. That, that relationship we have with him before Adam and Eve, before Genesis 3 in the garden is 100% perfect. They're walking with him in perfect unity and it's great. But in Genesis 3, sin enters and that relationship gets broken and we get on the other side. And now there's a chasm that you and I can't get over ourselves. Only through the blood of Christ can do that, right? So Christ comes and he reconciles our relationship with God, but also he comes and he reconciles our relationship with other people. Now, that's where it gets hard, right? You, you hear it said all the time, and it's a little bit cliche, but it's really good, is the, the cross is both vertical with, with Christ helping our vertical or, or solving our vertical relationship issue with God by giving us access to him, but it's also horizontal, right? You follow me on that? And what that means is, is that Christ then must have say-so in our relationships around us. Now, this can be uncomfortable or it can be great, right? Think about this with me. It's so interesting that some of the people, and, and I, it makes me think back to about a year ago with, with a guy that I was uh, walking with and a uh, disciple, and he had, he had gotten in uh, some trouble. He was a, had, a, had a nice house, a lot of things, and fell off into uh, drugs. He had a beautiful family. I mean, he wasn't the guy that you would think would get addicted to drugs, okay? Um, he, he, wasn't, he started taking them being addicted, but then he started uh, dealing them, right? And so um, I get the story after the fact, and he comes to church. He gets saved. He loves Christ, and he's radically wanting to walk in obedience to Christ, okay? And the first thing he starts realizing is, is, okay, now that Christ has saved me, I need to go apologize to all the people's life that I read. You see what I'm saying? Because he understood that if he was in a good place with Christ, it had to affect him and his relationship with people around him. You see what I'm saying? And it was so easy for him to get to that place. And listen, I think that some of us in here, it's so easy for us because we have been following Christ that we forget that it should affect that, right? But if Christ has not changed how we love people, how we see people, how we deal with people, then um, we need to understand how we understood Christ, right? Why do we love people, First John says? Because he first loved us. You follow me? There's all through this. We talk about this a lot with Ephesians, uh, the book of Ephesians, the whole letter Paul writes. The first three chapters are theologically how the gospel plays out. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, the first practical application Paul gives to the church in Ephesus, you know what it is? You got to learn to get along with one another, Right? And so as we get along with one another, that becomes a practical application of this. Listen, I, I think about it in my own life, right? I, the day I came to know Christ, 
I started thinking all the people's lives that I had hurt, whether it was intentionally, unintentionally, consciously, unconsciously, right? And what do you want to do? You naturally want to start trying to heal those things. It becomes easy because that's what happens. You can see it like this, right? We can't just have faith in Christ and there be no overflow, right? We, you know, James says it, faith without works is dead, right? But think about this. The other side is too. If we heal all of our relationships around us, and that's good, we can't forget, as we said at the beginning, the, is, the, the, the cross is vertical too, right? It does us no good if we have all the ethics and love people all well, because in the end, works without any faith in Christ can be dead too. You see what I'm saying? It has to be all in one and both work all together. You can't have one without the other because it ends up breaking down. I was, I was thinking about this practically and and this is just me trying to, trying to help you be honest of how does Jesus deal with our relationships and the people around us like Moses was doing here in the text. But we have to get to a place, and I don't know why, but it seems like every time Rachel and I do uh, marriage counseling, and, and maybe this is just more practical than, than we should, but this is, seems to be always the, the, the kind of idea that comes up. If so-and-so, usually one spouse talking about the other, right? If so-and-so does blank one more time, you don't want to know what I'm going to do, right? It's like they leave this open-endedness that they're going to go off the deep end. You know what I mean? And it's like that's their intimidation factor is I am going to not let them know what I'm going to do as the intimidation for them. You see what I'm saying? And, and what we have to come to a place to see is, is that that's not how Christ has worked, right? If we look to the gospel first, then we realize that we have done blank to Christ and Christ didn't do blank back. You follow me on this? Is The gospel has to play out vertically and horizontally in our relationships. I, I try to have no one in my life that I say, yeah, well, they did blank, so I'll never forgive them. I'll never talk to them again. I'll never blank, right? Because what the root there is is unforgiveness, Right? And we have to get to a place where we're willing to do that because this is what the gospel says. The gospel says we did do blank and Jesus still did. You see how that's the opposite? So-and-so did blank to me, so I will never talk to them. I'll do away with them. I'm done with them. But we did do all of that, right, to Christ, and Christ still said, I will love you, I will care for you, and you will commit adultery on me in a sense every way, right? Every day, you will cheat on me, you will love things more than me, you will want things other than me, your, your worship and desires will, 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 will flee you and you will get your eyes off of me, but he's still there and he still loves us. You follow me on this? Is All of this wraps up in the gospel and that's what Stephen is trying to show these people. He's so passionate about it. He's, he's telling the story of Moses trying to heal their relationship, saying, listen, Jesus has come to heal the ultimate relationship. You just need to understand. You need to peel back the layers and understand that just how you're rejecting Jesus is the same way the Egyptians or the same way the Israelites rejected Moses. And so we see this exact same thing coming up over and over. Then we get to verse 30 and it starts getting good. <clears throat> It starts getting good again. Verse 30 says, Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai 
and a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and he drew near to look. There came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. You see, what's interesting here is this idea that Moses has to be cleansed before he comes to God, right? Think about this with me. What, he sees this burning bush is the same narrative Stephen's talking about. He sees this burning bush. He starts going towards it. A voice from the Lord comes. And what did Moses have to do before he went into the presence of God or saw the presence of God? Take off his what? His sandal, shoes, right? Think about this with me. This happens with almost every prophet in the Old Testament. Think about Isaiah. Isaiah is about to speak on behalf of the Lord. And what happens to Isaiah? He has to go through some cleansing process before he can have a relationship with God. And with Isaiah, it's the coal. Uh, An angel comes and touches him on on his tongue and cleanses him. You see what I'm saying? And all of this, same thing Stephen is saying, all of this is pointing to Christ because the same way the priests and prophets all had to be cleansed in the Old Testament, guess who still needed to be cleansed now? You and I. And guess how we're cleansed? Not by taking off our shoes, <laughs> not by an uh, angel coming with the coal and touch us, right? We are cleansed through the blood of Christ. And so what, what Stephen's doing here is these people have an awesome grasp of the Old Testament, and he's saying all of these things are pointing you straight to the one you're denying. Don't deny him. He's right here in front of you. All these things are right here in front of you. We see it over and over and over. Let's keep reading because we could get bogged down in, in all of this. But we'll start in verse 39. He's still preaching to him. He's still using Old Testament stuff. If you want to read it, I, I wish I could do 50 verses in a day, but we'd be here for no Mother's Day. So here we go. Verse 39. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt. What, what he's saying here is, is these same people that Moses came to help, they left Egypt to go get something that was immediately satisfying. Now, that applies well to us, right? Do we oftentimes turn our way, our back on God and give in to sin for something that's immediately satisfying? Yes. Y'all can nod your heads with me, right? We often do that, right? Think about this. This is almost always the case of what happens with our sexual sin is we say, God, I'm going to turn away from you for a minute for something that's immediately going to satisfy me. And then, boom, we do that, whether it be lust or pride or whatever we think we know. So verse 40, saying to Aaron, what did they do? God delivers them. And guess what the first thing they do is? They make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And what they do, right after God frees them, they make a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. And he goes on to quote more of the Old Testament. What's interesting here is he's calling them out, right, for the same thing that we do today, which is trading, worshiping 
God for created things or something that we think is going to satisfy us. And he's showing that, listen, y'all are, y'all are willing to walk out on the God that freed you to go back into Egypt just so you can have food. You're going to destroy a cosmic covenant that God's made of grace with you and your people. And you're going to destroy that just so you can have a little bit of satisfaction. And that's almost how all of our idols are created today, isn't it? We, we somehow break think that somehow if we break this covenant while we go do what we want to do, that's going to bring us satisfaction. But that's the opposite of what Jesus says, right? John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that you may know the one true God. The, the, the primary way we're going to be satisfied, what we're created for is knowing God. Now, this gets me excited and fired up, and here's why. Because when we say that anything other than God will satisfy us, then our worship's going to drift and our satisfaction's going to drift. Okay, think about this with me. In the gospel, faith alone saves us, gets us to Christ, and Christ alone satisfies us. But when you add to either one of those, you break the gospel and you have nothing, right? He says that they wanted to uh, worship themselves for what they had done. They're adding to God's grace. Instead of faith alone, that would be like us saying, I have faith in Christ and I quit cussing. Now I can get to Christ and be saved, right? All of that stuff that we think gets us to Christ is what happens as a fruit of coming to Christ. You don't have to do any of that because then Ephesians 2 says, Ephesians 2.10 says, we would boast in our own works, right? We don't climb the mountain to Christ and then he says, good job. He went to the cross, shed his blood for us, and then we come to him and say, Thank you, Jesus. Now I want to be obedient to you. And then he starts transforming your life and those things come, right? But those things come. And here's what the other side of the gospel is when we break, is that Christ alone satisfies. Think about this with me. So often in our life, it's when we get down to the bare minimum that we find God the most attractive, right? Or when we find God most fulfilling. And here's why. Because it's easy to say, come to Christ You will have salvation and you will get a million dollars in your checking account. Or you will come to Christ and you will be healed forever. Or you will come to Christ in blank and you will come to Christ in blank. But when you add to the gospel on the satisfaction end, what that leads to is not true worship of God either. It leads to worshiping Christ plus whatever that else is that we want to be satisfied with. And so we have to come to a place that we realize that Christ is the all-satisfying thing that there's nothing else, right? I was thinking about this 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 week. What are two things quickly that we tend to worship? And then I'll just wrap it up and we'll have one more thing. But this is it. The the first one is comfort. We tend to worship comfort more than we realize. I I shared the money example and I'm gonna bring it back here for just a second. The reason we do that usually is because we're dying for comfort somehow. We, we, we want to know that nothing's gonna, nothing can happen that's going to rattle me, right? And here's what I would say. If our hope is in something other than Christ, and you have three years of savings in the bank, God's going to send you a three-year and one-month issue to rattle you. You see what I'm saying? If you have four months, he's going to send you five. But the thing is, God is bigger, more divine, and his overall goal and plan in our life right now is to sanctify us and make us like Christ. And we become more like Christ when we walk with Christ and worship him for all that he's worth. Think about this. You can think about this all over the place, but comfort's just so easy. 
How many people do you know that something happens to in life and that's when they either come to the Lord or they kind of have like a rededicating time? And it's because, boom, we realize our comfort is shattered when we realize God's the one that's really in control. There's a, there's a story just recently, right? There's a, a lady in our church who's been praying for her family for years, I think probably 30, 40 years. Her brother gets bad sick, um, I, I think starts realizing that, man, I, I'm not quite as in control of my life as I want. She starts talking with him, praying with him. The guy gets saved like two weeks ago after kind of turning his back to God in the gospel for 40 years, right? And that happens to all of us. My testimony is similar. Raise yourself up. You can do it. Go to, go to school, make money, get a good job, be a college athlete, and then woof, it rips from you. And you fall down, and then what do you do? You kind of try to re-grasp and grab it. There's all kinds of things that happen, but all of this happens. Why? Because we start putting faith in our foundation in something that can be taken, Right? And that's what we have to realize here is that it's easy to fall into worshiping things that aren't going to do it. When it comes to life and death things and people having life scares, I I think God uses that in a mighty way. Um, It makes me think, uh, there's a a story of a missionary that went into Papua New Guinea, and he's going to share Christ with these people. And these people um, are are like two languages away, similar to one. They're having to learn a language to learn a language. They don't have an alphabet. He's having to create the alphabet and write scripture for them, the whole nine yards. And he's talking to them, and he's been living with these people for about seven years, okay? Um, They've had had plagues together. They've had sicknesses, disease together. Their their life, their family knows their families well, their life on life. And they've been looking for opportunities to share the gospel. And guess the one time when the gospel got in, they had the first believer, It was at a funeral. Why is that? Why are those times so deep to us, you guys? It's because we realize that life is bigger than us, right? It's because we realize that we're here for something more than just 70 and retirement and happiness. We're here with a purpose created by an eternal God, and we're going to live in eternity with him, right? We are eternal beings going to spend it somewhere. And so we come to realize that when those things happen, God is usually trying to help us and grow us and get us back to a foundation that's unshakable, which is only going to be life in Christ, right? Life, Christ is the only thing that's not going to shake. And so if we could have a one-on-one conversation with all of us, then I think we could understand. But I think we could all ask the simple question, what is it that we're, we're, we're tended and we're bent to put our life on, that foundation that can be, be taken? But listen, this is why we sing in so many songs that death has no sting. This is why the resurrection of Christ is such a big deal, right? Because Christ in his resurrection assured ours. We don't have to have our hope in 50 years, 70 years, 80, 90 years on earth. We're going to resurrect and be with Christ forever. And so the Christian hope that we have runs deeper than any temporary satisfaction that would be worth leaving Christ for. We get Christ and he's all satisfying. The last thing is this, and I want to just read quickly these verses And we'll talk a little bit about summarizing up what Stephen did for us. I want to start in verse 51. And this is the end of his sermon, okay? This is wrapping it up, and we'll get to some little more practical things next week. But he says, you stiff-necked people. Could you imagine how frustrated they are? Uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. He's still calling them out for the same thing over and over. All these people I'm telling you about, they resisted them. 
And God had to show them. Well, now God, you're resisting the one that God has shown you, which is Christ. But he, sorry, and they killed those. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. There's a couple things I want to just think about Stephen's boldness and apply to us and we'll be ready to go. But I want you to think about this with me. Stephen does two things here that I think is very uh, wise, right? Um, the spirit was working through him, so I think he was able to do it supernaturally. But there's two big things, okay? Um, number one, he was supernaturally bold, okay? He was bold with his faith in sharing it, while at the same time, he molded to his audience, Okay, the reason he spent so much time talking about the Old Testament, and some of y'all are like, oh my gosh, are we going to get to something? Okay, the reason he's doing this is because they are rooted in it. That was their foundation. That's what they knew. And so Stephen is using that as a bridge to share the gospel with them. Okay, so now take this and apply that to us today. Okay, how can we be bold like Stephen in sharing the gospel? Right? We don't want to ever compromise on the gospel because then we lose everything, while at the same time doing what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, which is being all things to all people. Right? Think about this. That's a, a hard thing to do when you start thinking about it. How, how can you in your life use your hobbies, what you're good at, your work, etc., and use that as a way to become all things to all people to build a bridge with them? while also not sacrificing the gospel and sinning, obviously, to do it. Does that make sense? How can you in your life build bridges for evangelism to share the gospel without compromising the truth of the message? And here's where I think Stephen does it brilliantly, but I think we can think about that ourselves too is, listen, that's why we, when, you, when you start thinking about this, there are so many good things, and you see so many people having so many ways that they're able to build those bridges without doing it, right? We don't want to be a chameleon in our obedience, meaning we don't want to be obedient to everything and change, but it's okay to, at the same time, use things to build bridges. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were telling me that, listen, they were trying their hardest, and they've been praying hard, realizing that their kid is not on this random t-ball team in Athens for no reason, okay? Their, their kid is on that t-ball team so that they can use that as a bridge to the gospel for the other families on the t-ball team. You see what I'm saying? And in those senses, in those ways, there are lots of things that God has given us that we can build bridges similarly and, and, and with wisdom and strategy like Stephen did while also using that to take the gospel to those people that are in our life. The last thing is this, and we'll pray and be going. But I think the, the last thing is this, is with boldness, with, especially with Stephen here, comes hard truth, right? Think about this. These people didn't hear this, and they're like, yes, I love you telling me I'm wrong. You know what I mean? That's not, that's not how the, the Jews were thinking about this. They were seeing it as hard truth. Listen, later on in this, it, it says this, and it's very interesting, but it said they were so mad at him that they started gnashing their teeth together. Just, you know what I mean? That, that's how mad they are. I mean, seriously. But I think what it does for us, and I think what makes this so important as a church body, is that we realize that just as they did, and Stephen is helping them see their blind spots, it's the same way with us as a church body. 
right? The reason we teach the word, the reason we uh, push things like uh, connect groups and small groups to get in is because, listen, one of the things God has given you in the church, the reason he wants people to be a part of the body of Christ is so that you can see the things in your life that you don't see, right? And that's what Stephen's trying to help them do, but that's what we have to do ourselves. is we have to put, our put ourselves in position that God can use us and shape us and sanctify us into becoming more like Christ. You follow me on that? Is there's got to be something we're doing, and that's part of the gift of being in the body of Christ is that we don't always see those things, but we get to be a part of it, and that's what Stephen was trying to help them do. And so we challenge ourselves, how can we learn to embrace that? How can we learn to embrace this process of becoming like Christ, even when it's not easy? You know what I mean? It's like um, lifelong embracing the grind of becoming like Christ, God working on us and us being shaped into the image of Christ. Because as he says in Ephesians 5, our goal is, it's at the end of this, that the church is presented holy and blameless to Christ, right? That we look more and more like Christ every day so that when we get to the end, we say, my life looks more and more like Christ today. And we keep on growing and keep on moving along that spectrum of becoming like Christ. Let's pray together and we'll be done. Father, we love you. God, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for, God, your grace and mercy in our life. God, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I, I specifically pray now that, God, the two things that Stephen did, I want to spend just a minute praying for those things for our church. God, I pray, number one, that you would give us boldness. Lord, I, I pray that in everyday conversation, things like, do you go to church or are you a believer or what are your thoughts about Jesus would be things that would be more natural to us. And then, God, secondly, I pray that you would give us wisdom to find things in our life that we can build bridges over so that we can make disciples for your name, God, whether that be where you have us living with our neighbors, or whether that be uh, hobbies that we are part of, God, whether that be places we work and we're around those people every day, God, would you give us the same thing Stephen had, which was boldness and the supernatural ability to build bridges so that we can leverage our lives for your name. God, we don't want to do this life in vain. God, we want to have a deeper purpose and a deeper meaning to extend your glory while we're here. So God, help us. God, give us wisdom. God, love us. And God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the cross. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Happy Mother's Day. Y'all have a great day. See you next Sunday.